I'd like to just begin by staying with the script so that you have a, a clarity of, of where we're going in, in these sessions. And I'll, I'll give it to you just as I'm writing, then we'll, we'll deviate. The filter of the American mind often clouds biblical truth. Of course, the reason for that is that the Bible was not written in English, nor was it written with the um, whims of the American mind. The God of America, or what we would know as westernized countries, um, and that sounds a little strange, but Europe would be included in that, it's often different from the God of the Bible. We tend to see him as a benevolent savior, which he is. But that's not the only thing that he is. Um, and it comes at the cost of his other attributes. Now, I do not want to paint God as a harsh savior or an angry God. He's not. He's a loving savior. He's a loving God. But we have a little bit of, we have a little tough time reconciling um, the God of the entire Bible. So just consider a few of these things, commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, here's the command, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Don't make a covenant with them. Uh-oh, here's the last line. And don't show them mercy. This is a hard saying for the American mind. I'm just pointing out a few things that are contrary to our view. First Samuel, and I, I write this from the NIV, uh, fifteen seventeen. Samuel said to King Saul, You were once small in your own eyes. Didn't you become the head of the tribes? Didn't the Lord anoint you king over Israel? He sent you on a mission. He said, go completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the plunder and do evil and do evil on the side of the Lord? You were supposed to wipe them out. Utterly destroy them. Mm -hmm. Joshua 6.20. I'm just, I just want you to know that even though we look at the benevolent Savior, the gracious and merciful God, whose heart is full of love, there is still another side of this, that he abhors evil. In fact, in one part of the Bible, the Bible says that Jacob he loved, but Esau he hated. Ooh, that's a tough one to reconcile. Now, people try to dilute that by saying, well, he hated the disposition of Esau. Or he hated the idea of Esau. Well, I mean, okay, but the problem with that is that Esau sold his birthright and was flagrant with what really mattered. So here's the last scripture. Just, just pointing out something of significance for you. Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. It came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout. This is Jericho. The wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him took the city. Here, here it is. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old. That doesn't seem nice. Ox and sheep and ass and the, with the edge of the sword. They killed the animals and everybody. Yuck. That's just difficult. And I would submit to you that there are many places, many churches, of all shades, denominations, and flavors, 
that will not read those scriptures. They're going to set them aside. See, we don't want to present the angry God, and we should not. But we, under, we have to understand that God will not tolerate sinful people. His ways of grace and mercy are still the same. God hasn't changed. However, our understanding of him seems to be confined to minimally select scriptures that only come from the New Testament. Um, some of you may not remember this. I do because uh, of the unfortunate amount of time I've been living on this planet. Uh, it was a wave of New Testament Bibles. And I remember them coming out as small blue and green New Testament pocket Bibles. Uh, they were very popular and became very popular and were printed in mass in the 70s, the 1970s, which I don't know how I could remember that. But before that time, there were no New Testament pocket Bibles. They were full King James Bibles. Now, they may have been small. In fact, I've got some, I've got a couple of Bibles that are about, I don't know, about the size of my hand. And they were printed 300 years ago. And I found some old, old Bibles 200 years ago in some old library sellers in London when I was there some, some time back. Before the 1970s, you didn't find New Testament Bibles. You found the whole King James New Testament, Old Testament Bible. They included both. I, I just want everyone to know, the Bible is not the New Testament. <laughs> the Bible contains the Old and the New Testament. The New Testament is only half of the story. In fact, I submit that no one can fully understand salvation, holiness, godliness, the Godhead, any of that without the Old Testament. And in fact, when Philip saw the Ethiopian eunuch and he was there in his chariot reading, the Lord moved on Philip and Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no. And Philip got up in that chariot with him and began to explain the word of God to him. At the end of that explanation, it was the Ethiopian who said to Philip, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What was he reading? The New Testament had not even been written. We're reading the account of the New Testament in the New Testament. He was reading the book of Isaiah. So can you imagine this? That Philip proved baptism through Isaiah. Oh, wow. So, I'm not negating the New Testament. That's the Word of God. It's not all the Word of God. The Old and the New Testament are the Word of God. Now we can understand God a little better by reading both Testaments. Why would we cut out the Old Testament? Who could cut out Abraham or Joel? Hebrews chapter 11 makes no sense if you've never read the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 is a litany of men and women found in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus speaks of David, Jonah, Elijah, Moses, and a host of other patriarchs that can only be understood when the entire scriptures are read in full. So just how are we doing? Are we doing okay? All right. In fact, Jesus will read from, from Luke chapter 14, um, Luke chapter 4, and he'll, he's in, the, he's in the, the temple, and there's delivered him a book of Isaiah, and he opens up the book, and he starts reading in the place, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading this, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then here's what the Bible says. Jesus closed the book, gave it to the minister, sat down. All of them were looking at him. And he said, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. No one understands the Lord until he reads from the Old Testament. He used Isaiah's writings as a revelation of his deity. 
So I want to get to this, this subject of the interruption or interruptions. But before we discover that, we need to understand the necessity of the entire biblical writ. It's important that all of the Bible is embraced. I would even submit to you that in your Bible reading, and when I read, when I'm reading my one-year Bible, I love my one-year Bible because I can read a little bit of the Old Testament and a little bit of the New Testament, and it also adds like a Psalms and a Proverbs. Some of you do that uh, with me through the year. We're about to start a new year. It's a good time to start your one-year Bible. I would just submit to you that only eat food on the days that you read your Bible. Okay. So all in favor say aye. All opposed, motion's carried. How is it that you would eat food but you wouldn't read your Bible? All right, well, you know, that's, that's another subject, right? This is uh, very important because we have to have the entire biblical writ to understand the concept of these interruptions. So let me just give you Three main interruptions that are found in the scriptures and that are applicable to our day and our lives. First is the interruption of divine order. We're going to talk about divine order in a second. Secondly is an interruption of the prophetic. There is and can be an interruption of the prophetic. And thirdly, there is and can be an interruption of the gospel. So let's deal with the divine order, the interruption of the divine order. And I put a lot of scriptures here on your handout because I, I wanted you to have them and not have to flip through your Bible. And also wanted in, in time when you pick this up, hopefully you do, that you'll have the scriptures in play. Here is Exodus chapter 17 verse 3. Now Moses is leading these people. He's led them out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. The people are thirsty. They're grumbling against Moses. They said, why'd you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children livestock? All of us are going to die of thirst. Verse 4. So Moses take that, takes those grievances. He cries to the Lord. What am I going to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. <laughs> I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses. I'd like to stop and talk about that verse for a little bit. But I won't. Let's just go on. Go back and just study that for a moment. The Lord answered, Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff, which you struck the Nile. Go. I'll stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. Water will come out of it for the entire people, all of them. He did this in the sight of the elders. He called the place Mesa. So just for our sake, let's look at it. The, the word of God was true and Moses was in order in this very first instance. The striking of the rock represented something. It's called a future type. Capital T-Y-P-E type. This is going to be very important because this was not just meant to give people water. It was a type. Now we would call that often type and shadows. A type and a shadow. So Moses would say this. Just as... Uh, he lifted, the Bible says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's a type and a shadow. And that means that, that something's going to happen in the Old Testament that's going to give revelation to the New Testament. And that's why both of these testaments are critical. And finally, people were saved by the water. They could not survive without the water. Over and over again. Here's the New Testament. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. 
This is a direct, you could put on your paper, correlation to John chapter 3. When Jesus said, except you're born again of the water and the spirit. The type was Moses leading the people through the cloud, the spirit, through the sea, the water. And here's the next verse. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. This striking of the rock was the type of the striking of Jesus Christ. That he would be wounded. That he would be struck. Now, there's some counterculture happening here. And we're, we want to we talk a little bit about it. But there's some counterculture here. Uh, God has a plan which is not contingent upon the opinion of the church or of the elect or of the saved. God has a plan. His plan is not contingent upon our individual or collective opinions. Everybody said amen. And God has an order. It's the divine order. It relates to the plan to save the world. God has a plan. Uh, that order is, has been established before the foundation of the world. And that means that his plan preempts the desires of mankind. And of course, we know from John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and that Word, W-R-D, W-O-R-D, means logos, the thought or plan of God. In the beginning was the Word, thought, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the plan, the thought. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shined in darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The thought became flesh. That's the logos. How we doing? I'm trying to temper myself here because I got to get through some stuff. And then after that, I'll just let it all hang out. <laughs> Counterculture. God has a plan. It's not contingent upon us. Here's the interruption. It's the second time the people are very thirsty. Take the rod, gather the assembly, bring Aaron. Uh oh, here's it. You should underline this. Speak to the rock before them. Speak to it. It'll give water. He didn't tell him to strike the rock. Speak to it. You'll give the water to the congregation, to all of the animals. But Moses is angry with the people because they continue, continue to complain. Please note, people will always complain. It doesn't matter how good God is, someone's always complaining. It don't matter how good church is, someone will leave upset about something that's trivial. If you get sidetracked, you'll get, you, can get, you can get drafted into trivial conversations and complaints. Let me just tell you how wonderful you have it right now. You're getting up, you're going home, you have no problem with freedom. But today, people are dying, being hurt, wounded, and imprisoned in Hong Kong. They're fighting for their freedom in Hong Kong. Because the Chai Coms want to take over Hong Kong. And the mainland is ready to strip them of all of their freedoms. And take all of their money. And Venezuela is suffering with food. And fuel. And no money. And Brazil, the country of Brazil, not the city, although that might be true, is struggling. The country is struggling 
with a very horrible economy. And all of Central America is run by drug cartels. And people are trying to get out because their families are abused, misused, and they are a constant threat of dying. And Africa, especially Congo, has had continual civil war for the last 15 years. And we have a flat tire and think that the devil is on our case. And somebody says something, complaining, chirping, and we feel like we're being attacked to the devil. Let me just tell you, we have never seen tribulation, but we will. All right, well, that didn't fly. Just just know, just, just know this. Everyone has an infinite, infinite capability to complain. It didn't start with us. God brought them out of Egypt. God opened up the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground. They started to complain. Three days later, they found water. It was bitter. They called it Mara. God made the water sweet. They were thankful, but it didn't take them long, and then they complained again. Every little while, God gave them manna, and they got tired of the manna, and they wanted meat. They complained. For 40 years, they did this, and Moses got tired of it. And God said, I know they're thirsty. That rock that keeps showing up, Moses doesn't know it, but that's a type of Jesus Christ. He's going to be struck once, and God said, speak to the rock. But Moses, in his anger... How think? Put this on. Put, try this on. Moses is called the most humble man that ever lived, and yet he has a terrible temper. How does that work? That gives me a lot of c- comfort. <laughs> right. I ain't the most humble man, but I ain't got that bad of a temper. But somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Just remember that your gift could also be your great liability. So Moses, instead, he takes the rod. And the Bible says that he strikes the rod, verse 11, twice. Now, he didn't strike it there twice. It was just the second time that he struck the the rock twice. And God was not happy with this because he interrupted the type. Moses struck the rock twice and interrupted the type. That's why I tell you, God's plan is not contingent upon your or my or our disposition. And the Bible says, because you didn't believe me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is a tough thing. Here's your God. This is my God. Who interrupted the type? Moses interrupted the type. He's the greatest leader in the history of Israel. Perhaps the greatest leader of all time, Moses. What was the penalty? Moses was kept from the inheritance, from the promised land. All of a sudden, the American mind asks, is that fair? Because we love fairness. We believe God has to be fair. But that's not the God of the Bible. In fact, in his parable, he gave to one man one talent, to another man, what, three talents, and to the third guy, five talents. That's not fair. Jesus is not a socialist. And then he requires all of them to do something with it. And then when the, when, when he comes back and the guy with three did well and the guy with five did well, he was grateful. But the guy that had one said, well, I was afraid I buried it. And he said, at least you could have given it into a bank or a usury. He got something back. But because you didn't do anything with it, cast him out into the lake. Fire. Uh oh. Fairness is affliction of the American mind. Because some of you are going to go through trouble that other people will never experience. Some of you are going to go through a few painful moments that other people are not going to experience. And you're going to look around and say, well, why 
do they have to go? See, this idea of fairness has afflicted us. In fact, Jesus shows up at the shoreline, has already made some food, and he tells his disciples, bring some fish. They bring the fish. He's cooking the fish. And he starts to tell Peter what manner of death that Peter will die and suffer for the name of Jesus, for my sake. And Peter looks over and says, well, what about John? And Jesus says, what is it to thee if John tarries till I come? What? I have to die? John gets to live? Fairness. Let me tell you about fairness. There are 70 disciples. Jesus sends them out in pairs. And then he says this, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Yuck. What? That's not even fair. Why would you send me among wolves? And then, not only did there have 70, he sends them out, he has 12. But he will treat them the same, because when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, or to the house of Jarius, he separates nine of the 12. You guys stay here, I'll just take Peter, James, and John. Listen, I'm going up to this mountain, it's the mountain of transfiguration. I'm going to talk to Moses and Elijah. You, you nine guys, you stay over there, I'll just take Peter, James, and John. I'm going to pray in the garden. You guys, I don't really trust you. You stay this way. Here, Peter, James, and John, you go here. I'll go there. That doesn't seem right. In fact, even the Bible says of the disciple that Jesus loved, John. So you got 70, then you got 12. Of the 12, you got 9. Of the 9, you got 3. Of the 3, you got 1. <laughs> oh, man. This is a really big problem with fairness. Because we don't think... That striking the rock should have kept Moses out of the promised land. But he interrupted the type. You see, God's plan is greater than your comfort. Who issued the penalty? God issued the penalty. And God decided that it was time for Moses to die. The Bible says that Moses' eyes were not even dim. That means... His body was still in good shape. But God decided, your time is over. I'm going to put you down and then I'm going to bury you in a nondescript location so nobody knows where you're buried. This is a difficult thing because we have pocket New Testament Bibles, green and blue. I'm talking to you tonight about the interruption of the tide. Let's just talk a little bit about the interruption of the prophetic. From Jeremiah eleven six, the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought you... Your, fa- your forefathers up from Egypt unto the day, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but they did not keep. God decided because even though he had, he decided to curse them, even though he had, he had presented to them blessings, The reverse of the covenant blessings came on them and the reverse was the curses of the covenant. Let me just unpack that for you. I gave you a promise, God said, but I warned them. The people didn't obey me. My promise was thwarted. I will curse them instead of bless them. This happens again and again. In fact, the Old Testament is replete with this. Jonah chapter 3. See, it's not only for, for our detriment, but it also can be for our benefit Jonah began to enter the city, a day's journey. He cried. He didn't want to be there. He said, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5. The people of Nineveh then believed God, which is a surprise to, to Jonah. They put, up, they put forth a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word of God came to the king of Nineveh. He arose He laid his robe to the side. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes. He's repenting. And here's verse 7. And he caused it to proclaim and publish throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, Let nobody eat anything or drink anything, even the animals. 
But let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Cry unto the mighty God. Let him turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands because Nineveh was a terribly violent people. And then he said in verse 9, Who can tell if God will turn and repent or change his mind and turn away from the fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil. That means God changed his mind that he had said that he would do it to them and he did it not. The prophetic judgment of God was changed. It was interrupted by obedience and repentance. Here, let me tell you, Nineveh is a wicked city. God is going to use Jonah. He's a reluctant preacher. I often say it, but I've got to say it again. You don't have a reluctant preacher, but people in that day had a preacher, a prophet that did not like them. He did not want them to be saved. In fact, when they repented, this is what Jonah said. I knew you were slow to anger and of great kindness. I knew that if they repented, you would change your mind. And he was frustrated, sat down under a tree after the people had repented. And God did not curse them. And so, this whole thing, repentance, is going to change the outcome. See, interruptions can happen on both sides of blessings and on judgment. Blessings and judgment can happen in interruption. You can interrupt the curses that have been put on you. Now, I'm not talking about spiritual curses, but, but all the afflictions of your past and your family, you can interrupt them. You can interrupt all the addictions that found in your family and all the problems found in your family if by chance... You repent and serve God. This, ladies and gentlemen, this can be an interruption for your life. But you can also interrupt prophetic blessings. Here, let me just give you a few misnomers. This is a misnomer, meaning this is not true. If God promised it, he'll fulfill it regardless of my action or inaction. That's not true. That's a misnomer. It's what happens to people in church. God gave a prophetic word to someone, and then they think that prophetic word will just naturally come to pass. Number two, prophecy is not contingent. That is not true. It is always contingent. You can thwart a prophetic word. God can give you a word from somebody. It can come from God for you specifically, but never come to pass based upon what you do with it. Number three, God will not change his mind. Oh, yes, he will, and he has many times. And in fact, God was going to destroy the entire people of Israel. And, and the Bible says that Moses stood as an intercessor before the Lord and said, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out too. And God, the Bible says, repented or changed his mind. And he kept the people. God can change his mind. He... he he sets the prerogative and the precedent to change his mind based upon what we do. You can change the mind of God for your benefit or for your detriment. People do it all the time. I, I have spoken the word of, word of faith over people's lives right here in this house. And I know that God was about to do something. But they thwarted the prophetic word because their attitudes became corrupt. And they murmured and they complained and they did everything to interrupt the prophetic word. I've seen the opposite take place where someone was headed down a dark road, but something happened to them. I watched it many times when they fell on their face and they prayed before God and God stopped all the affliction and the judgment that was soon to come. God stopped that because they interrupted the word. And God said, I'm going to wipe you out, Nineveh. And Jonah, go tell him I'm going to wipe him out in 40 days. Repent or you're going to be wiped out. And Jonah never thought that Nineveh would do it, but they did. And God changed his mind. Now I can just tell you, I need God to change his mind when I'm in trouble. I need him to change his mind. I need to put myself in a position where I garnish God's favor through my obedience and submission to God. I don't need to thwart the prophetic word in my life. 
Here's the prophetic word for the church. God is going to give us many rivers, a great revival, something we cannot contain. But we can thwart that as a church. Let me tell you an easy way for us to cut it off. Complain, murmur, backbite, sin, do all manner of evil, and we will interrupt all of the prophetic word that God has in store for us. Let me tell you about your homes. If you do the same thing in your home, no matter what, how good God is, and no matter how great the blessing is, you can thwart the blessing of God and the prophetic word by deviating from the path of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can recover everything. It's a beautiful thing. If you'll repent, you can be restored. No one is ever restored until they repent. Repentance is not a popular feature. It's not really popular. Repentance is 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 act of bringing fruit worthy of it. Repentance. It's interesting that people don't. Some people don't think they need to repent. I've done nothing wrong. The moment you say you've done nothing wrong, that's what you should repent of. That's what, exactly what Job did. He said, "Well, I've done nothing wrong." Well, you you just did nothing wrong by by declaring how good you were. I'm good. I'm I'm, I'm a great. I'm a great God. I guess number twenty four belongs to you. Praise God. I don't know who's 99, but they keep on going out every Sunday. 99. I don't know. Who. <laughs> I don't know. I just made that up. Some, somebody's going out. The interruptions. Listen, I need I need an interruption in my life, not for the bad, but for the good. And I know if I can repent of the things that are that that conflict me, God will change His mind about my future. He'll change his mind about your future if you repent before God. But if you think that you need no repentance and you don't need to humble yourself, then you are destined to be wherever you are of your own will, of your own making. That's right. So let's do the last one. The gospel. The interruption of the gospel. Of course, I would say the gospel is the most critical interruption in the destiny of the soul of mankind. There's a destiny at stake when we're talking about the gospel. We're not talking about, we're not talking about just church attendance and about serving and finding a place in the church to serve. We're talking about the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Let me, let me tell you everybody, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you grew up in church or if you've known this way all your life or if you were born in a preacher's home like I was or if you were, it doesn't matter. Everybody, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Can I get one witness in this house? I was dead in trespasses and sins. Come on, let's just confess. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Don't anyone ever come in here and think that you were not dead in trespasses and sins because the, the, the more you, if you ever forget that you were dead, you become arrogant. And arrogance brings you right back to the place where you came from. I was dead in trespasses and sins. See, when you realize that you were dead in trespasses, you were dead, then you have compassion on other people that are struggling. We lose our compassion because we forget where we came from. We lose our, our love and our grace and our mercy that we ought to give out because we forgot that we were like that before. And here's verse 2, where in time past, this is, listen, Paul's pretty strong. He's talking to the church. He said, you used to walk according to the course of this world. You were worldly. And you walked, this is even worse, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's how you were. I'm going to tell you what, everybody loves Paul. I wish he could come and preach one time in this church. You would not like him. He would get right in your face. He'd say, you were dead. You were disobedience. You walked according to the prince. You are of the devil. And you had your conversation in the lust of your flesh. He's pointing his finger. Fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. And you were by nature the children of wrath. That's pretty strong. 
but there's an interruption in the type. There's an interruption, I'm sorry, there's an interruption because the gospel has come. The gospel interrupted your destiny. You were that, but now you're this. You were walking that way, but now you're walking this way. You had your conversation in the world, but now you have your conversation in Jesus Christ. You were the children of disobedience, but now you're the children of the Most High God. You were full of lust, but now you're full of love. You were full of fear, but now you're full of courage and faith. And Paul's quick to point out, and how did it happen? It happened because of the gospel. You see, the cross of Calvary interrupted the destiny of the human race. The cross of Calvary. What was the cross? Sin's payment was death. Romans 6, 23. Sin's payment was death. All sin. And the world is guilty of Sin, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has fallen short. And finally, what did the cross do? We were grafted into the vine, the capital V-I-N-E, the vine, which in time past you were not a people. Peter said it, but now you're the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. You were grafted into the vine. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Phenomenal gospel of Jesus Christ. And watch that. Paul will preach about it. And Paul will say that some have perverted the gospel. Some people came into the church at Galatia and perverted the gospel. Any changing of the gospel is a perversion of it. When I think of perversion, I think of, 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 of gender mixing. That's a perversion. I think of sexual, gross sexual sins. That's a perversion. Paul likened it to that. It's a perversion. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you to the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He's talking about himself. I marvel that you left me. I can't believe you left me. I called you to the grace of Christ and you went to another gospel, and, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a perversion of it. They interrupted the gospel by perverting the gospel. Let me just tell you, Jesus was emphatic on the new birth command. That was John chapter 3 when he met at midnight and taught Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. Don't marvel, you must be born again. And Paul gave the definition of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. The gospel is, if, if you say, and I, I gotta repeat this, if you say it's the good news, it's fine, that's good, but that's, it's not the full definition. I don't have to create the definition. It's 1 Corinthians 15. I want to remind you of the gospel, Paul wrote, how that Jesus died how he was buried, how he rose again the third day. The gospel will forever be the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1-4. We don't have to give any definition. I don't, he, I don't need a theologian. I don't need a historian. I don't need anyone to tell me what the gospel is. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I've got to obey the gospel. I've got to die. I've got to be buried. I've got to rise again. It's the gospel. When I obey the gospel, it interrupts my destiny. My destiny was sin. My destiny was judgment. It was punishment. But the gospel interrupted my life and it changed me. That's why we have to preach the gospel. We have to preach the death, the burial, the resurrection, the baptism of water and the spirit that Jesus talked about to Nicodemus. Punishment for those who interrupt the gospel through disobedience is what the Bible says. There's a punishment. If you don't obey the gospel, there's a punishment. Think of it, it's right there in the Bible. This, this is what the Bible says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to those who are troubled. And to us as well. 
This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed the testimony to you. There's punishment. So the gospel thwarts my judgment. Yes. You've got to consider that. We've got to understand it interrupted the desires of my flesh. It interrupted my, my end. It interrupted my thought. It interrupted my path. Now I'm a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. Become new. All things become new. How is it? Because of the gospel. Of Because of the death. Of, I repented of my sins. I died. I was buried in the name of Jesus. Just as Jesus was baptized, I was baptized. I took on his name. Why? Because Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever I do in word, whatever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and, I, and I was born again of the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I experienced that when something happened and the Spirit started to bubble out of me and I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave me the utterance. It was just the sign that something, outward sign of something inward, the greater thing inward. The gospel. Preach the gospel. Believe the gospel. Obey the gospel. Don't pervert the gospel. If anyone changes the gospel, it's a perversion. I marvel that you've changed. Someone interrupted the gospel message. Paul did not want anyone to interrupt the gospel. Watch this. There was interruption. It was interrupted. Think of this. Truth can be interrupted by the enemy of our soul, even the devil. Here's Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It came to pass. He's, he's writing, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. This little girl followed Paul and Silas, us, cried. This, she's like a walking billboard. She's like the town crier. These men are the servants of the Most High God. They're going to show us the way of salvation. She did this many days, but Paul... Ooh, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He came out that same day. You see, in Paul's mind, the gospel message would not tolerate demonic affirmation. I can't go into this here. But I just want you to know, on, on a few occasions, I've had to ask some people that I know, not part of the church, people that are very, very much, which I believe, in the world and corrupt, not, not to promote me or the church. I didn't want their affirmation. I didn't want their stamp of approval. I've actually had to say... You know, it's okay. I don't, I really would rather you not recommend us. I don't need you to recommend me. It came out of surprise. In fact, at one particular juncture, a few of the church people even said, this was many years ago, said, well, why wouldn't you want that support? I said, because I just don't feel like I want to be associated. I don't want the church to be associated with, with the lifestyle of that individual. My affirmation doesn't have to come from the world. I don't care if the political world or the business world says, this is a great man of God, we can listen to him. I don't know that we really always need that. Be careful. Your affirmation comes from the Lord himself. That's right. And, and it's not that we're trying to be antagonist or, 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 or being closed off from people, but... But I, I remember these verses. I've memorized these verses. Of course, it's been many years ago, but I memorized this book. And chapter 16 is an interesting chapter. And this particular, these particular verses, it seemed 
on the surface when I was young that, 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 that Paul was just being uh, obstinate. He was just, you know, for no real reason. But, but as I got more mature, I realized Paul did not want the gospel to be associated with the spirit of divination because the spirit of divination is different from the spirit of revelation. But the world doesn't know the difference. The demonic spirit and the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, are both spirits. But many people in the world don't know the difference. That's right. How far down you want to get in this? Because in the last days, there's going to be a lot of spirits and a lot of false Christ and a lot of false teachers. And a lot of people that are going to proclaim that they know the Lord. And people are going to run after them because they're popular. But they may not have truth. In fact, they may be a worker of the enemy. And they may still be steeped in perversions. It's happening right now today. In fact, there's a massive swelling of millions of people that are following a rap star who just got to preach at a, at a major church in Texas. But they are not us. And I don't need to be associated. Oh, man. See, this is a problem here. This is a problem. It's happening a lot. It's happening a lot. We got to be careful. Hold on a second. You don't mix bitter with sweet. You don't mix, you don't, you don't mix bad with good. You, no, no, no. Hold on a second. Come out from the world and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Don't negate holiness and say, well, they're doing their best. They're doing, hold on a second. Don't promote the Jesus that does not exist. He's a holy God. He's not a perverted God. Not a perverted God. And what I what I'm what I'm hearing is I'm hearing Pentecostals say, well, at least they're at least they're trying. Hold on a second, wait a second, wait a second. Wait. Humility before the Lord, repent before the Lord, change your lifestyle before the Lord. That's right. And 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 this 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 conflicts us and it's it's it, it's coming in our homes and it's coming in our in our people that are maybe a little bit younger not all of the young people but a, a lot of middle-aged folks are saying well they're you know they're, they're okay they're they're walking in the truth no no they're not they're living in sin and they're promoting a god living in sin and what it's doing is diluting the truth of the word of god so that people think i don't have to be separate from the world or the lost i can have this god and i can have that world too Listen, I, I think that we're in trouble. I think we're in trouble because we enjoy watching and hearing things that we would not do ourselves. We condemn those things in this church, but we regularly engage in, in the enjoyment of them. Uh-oh. This is the entire world of media world. The entire media world will watch things or hear things or listen to things that we would not speak ourselves. So, you know, this is not, of course, you know, this lesson is, is pro probably is not a good lesson to, to get all kinds of people to come to church. It's, it, it probably is a, it's, it's probably a, a dividing message. It's probably a dividing word, but I, I just re, I'm reminded that when, that when Moses came down from the mountain, he saw the people kind of naked, kind of dancing around and, and falling in all kinds of debauchery and sexual sins around the golden calf Asics. He stood up and said, who's on the Lord's side? He, draw, he drew a line in the sand. And then the Levites came forward and they said, we'll take up the cause. They took their swords and they killed all those people. There was a great slaughter that day. So we, we've, we've gotten... We've gotten used to this live and let live. And what's live and let live has happened that now we've got all kinds of gross sexual sins walking into all kinds of churches. And the immoral practices of the world and, and, and because we've negotiated, said, well, at least they're promoting us. At least, hold on a second. Paul did not allow that. He said, no, no, no. I'm grieved. You're not going to do that anymore. He turned around and cast the spirit out. Because he did not want the spirit of divination to be related to the gospel message because the spirit of divination was going to interrupt the gospel message. All right. Here's, here's the second one. Paul was not willing to connect the message 
with demonic activity. Oh, Lord, help me. I don't know that we recognize demonic activity. I think we're so accustomed to what's happening in our communities. We don't understand demonic activity. We, we don't call it demonic activity because, you know, we don't see voodoo, witch doctors and all that stuff. But there's a lot of demonic activity. And we cannot connect the gospel message with demonic activity. We just, we cannot afford to do that. We've got to be very, very careful. I, when I'm reading these scriptures, I realize Paul was making, he was severing something. Once again, it's going to come at a cost to him. And the men who used that young girl to make money from her, they were very angry and cast Paul and Silas out because they'd rather make money than set someone free. They'd like to make money. They'd rather people be bound and make money than to set them free. And it looked like 67 or 63% in our community would rather make money than set people free. Because that was about the amount of people who voted for a casino. While the churches remained silent. If the churches of our community would say no... We would have none of that garbage. But we don't mind connecting our messages to demonic activity. I want to know, where, are the, where is the Christian community at anymore? Where, where did they go? If the Christian community would stand up, rise up, we'd have none of these judges. We'd have none of these people in politics. Because we would vote according to the Bible, not according to some kind of tax relief or burden. But we don't relate all that to demonic activity because we think demonic activity only comes through a Ouija board. I'm going to tell you, it comes a lot of different ways. And people will be bound. And the reason why they're bound is because the church doesn't mind connecting itself to the elements of the world. And I'm standing up just to say something here. And I know I'm in good company. And I'm probably preaching to the choir. But it's high time that the church severs the connection of the gospel message to all demonic activity that's in the world. It mean, I'll just, patron, just patronize me a little bit and somebody clap their hands and say, yes, we believe that, Pastor. And finally, I know you're just about done and, and I... And I apologize for going so long I, I promise next week I'll go just as long but I apologize for it in advance <laughs> the interruption of the gospel message to interrupt the gospel let me just tell you about the interruption of the gospel The devil will do anything to interrupt this church. He'll do anything to take me down and Tammy down and the four kids. I think we had five in our house. I don't know. Today, there was another one. It was like the fiery furnace. I looked in and saw four. And then there was a fifth one. And it looked like somebody else's kid on the couch. He'll, he'll, he'll take you down. He wants to take you out because he'd like to thwart the gospel message. He'd like to cut off the church. If he can't get to one, he'll go to the nether. There's, we got a big bullseye out this. You know the sign out there that's going? The devil's got a big bullseye. He's after you, your family, everything about you. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to interrupt everything that's going on in here. Don't think it's strange if you got trouble and got, and got, trials of your faith don't think it's strange you're doing the right thing the church is on the right track we got the right message we have the right god we have the right word but let me just tell you the interruption of the gospel message is a design it's designed it's by design and it's by design of the devil that's right now, I know that may sound a little spiritualistic for somebody, me talking about demonic and devil activity, and demonic activity, designs by devil, but it is the truth. 
And I guess I should apologize by not talking about it more. We need to talk about heaven and we need to talk about hell because those are real places and not just figurative concepts. And the devil will try to thwart everything. He wants to interrupt the gospel in your life. He wants to interrupt everything that's in your life. He'd like to make you pause and get discouraged. He like me. He wants you to quit everything that you're doing and quit the church and quit giving and quit serving and quit loving and quit clapping and quit praising. That's right. So we, we, we've, got, we've got work to do. And some of the work is not just outward, but it's inward. Because we've got to stand fast in our faith. Amen. Amen. All right. Everybody said amen. All right. There's, there's probably more, but we're out of lines. So please stand with me. Amen. Oh, Lord, help us. Somebody just help me pray for a moment and worship. We love you, Savior. We worship you, Savior, for your goodness and your mercy. <laughs> yes, Lord, we thank you for all that we know. We thank you, Lord, for the great power of the Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this house. I, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. No matter what we go through, Lord, you are the great God and we give you praise and glory. No matter what happens in our life, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would not interrupt your order or your type. and We, not, we would not interrupt your prophetic word, Lord. But, but we would be interrupted in our path to, to destruction. And your gospel message would interrupt our destiny so that we could find our place with you, Lord. We're thankful, Lord Jesus. We're thankful, Lord Jesus.